Guys, we are watching the US dollar facing its biggest fight of its life right now. The US dollar is in real trouble. I'm going to tell you what happened this week, which I think is an absolute game changer for US monetary policy and frankly, global power structure. You know, we've been talking about the new world order, what that's going to look like. The United States and the globalists that run the World Economic Forum want a what they call a unipolar order, right? One sort of globalist cabal that's running the show. Well, there are other countries that have a different opinion of that and do not believe that we should have a unipolar order. They want a multipolar order, that every country, territory, land, customs, cultures are all different. You're really going to run what happens in Russia and Canada and Brazil with one government run out of Brussels, right? doesn't make any sense, but that's what the globalists want. They also want a one world sort of digital currency that they control everything. Again, other countries have a different opinion of that, and they don't think that globalists should be running the show. And you're seeing the US dollar in the middle of all this being crushed as a result. So what happened this week? Well, a couple of big moving pieces. First of all, Moscow was probably the biggest story in the world, but of course the mainstream media in the United States wants you to focus on other stories. They want you to focus on you know, Donald Trump being arrested or whatever reality TV show issue is going on right now or the Academy Awards or whatever. No, no, the biggest story in the world happened in Moscow this week. Chinese President Xi Jinping flew into Moscow, met with Vladimir Putin. They met for three days and they wrote up and documented 14 different signed agreements. 14 of them. They met for hours every day. And when they left, they said, we are about to change the world order, shook hands and said, goodbye, my friend. It was a, an unbelievable summit if you're paying attention to what's happening in the world right now. Now, remember about a year ago when President Biden flew into Saudi Arabia and was basically mocked. And when they left, they, it was well reported that they were laughing at him when he left. He was begging them to not cut production of oil and, you know, create new oil partnerships with the United States. They basically looked right in his face and said, no, we're not going to do that. So what happened this week? Well, these 14 agreements that Vladimir Putin signed with Xi Jinping are about trade, uh, the, the economy, um, currency, um, about military exercises. The list is pretty much endless. Um, new rail infrastructure, trade routes, etc. But to me, the biggest story was about settling uh, oil transactions and making trade transactions settled with the Chinese currency, the yuan, okay, instead of U.S. dollars. The same thing happened in Saudi Arabia this week. Saudi Arabia discussing, discussing with China, Saudi Arabia talking with China about tr settling their oil transactions with the Chinese currency, yuan. Okay, so that might not sound like much to the layperson, but when the petrodollar the U.S. dollar, which is how all oil transactions are settled, now will be upended and removed, and oil will now be settled with the Chinese yuan. That is a game changer, arguably the biggest story we've seen in decades. Why is that? The U.S. uses the dollar as a cudgel. It uses it as an axe. It uses it to uh, put sanctions on other countries. Oh, we, don't, we want you to do this. We want you to act a certain way, so we will use the U.S. dollar to sanction you. You want oil? Well, it's because it's the petrodollar. You want to settle your oil transactions? You have to do it in the U.S. dollar. You better listen to us with our sanctions. That's what we do. Now imagine if we remove the U.S. dollar from, the, from oil transactions. Well, what happens? The U.S. cudgel of sanctions starts to move away, starts to dissolve, 
and U.S. power is dissolving. And that's why you're seeing this week, over the past 48 hours, the United States ramping up, wanting to increase their military budget by 40% to attack China. These are the words, literally, from our defense secretary, that we're adding 40% to our defense budget for readying for war with China. This is why. It all comes down to the U.S. dollar. It's about nothing else. It's not about Chinese soldiers showing up in your backyard and trying to steal your, you know, steal your pool toys. No, it's about it's about the economy. It's about the power of the U.S. dollar versus the Chinese yuan. And it's about a new global power alliance. So, folks, pay attention to what's happening here. In fact, we had our, our one of our team members, our bookkeeper, even reached out to us this morning and said, my husband and I are very concerned about what's about to happen. If, if Saudi Arabia switches from the U.S. dollar to the Chinese yuan, what does that mean for the U.S. dollar? We've been warning you here on the show what's happening to the U.S. dollar. All you need to do is look at what Jerome Powell just announced this week right? Which is a rate increase. Okay. A small rate increase, but then Fed watchers are seeing that we're going to see rate cuts in June and December. That means they are saying, they're throwing their hands up saying, we don't know what to do anymore. We're basically, we're done. We're going to let the market sort itself out. What that means is that investors are leaving the US dollar. They're going to go to internationally to something more that are going to yield higher results instead of US treasuries and bonds. We're going to get out of the US dollar. We're going to go into other territories. So you're seeing now the decline, the buying power of the U.S. dollar plummeting. Is your retirement tied to the U.S. dollar? This is all you need to be asking yourselves. Like when you're sitting around the dinner table with your husband or wife, say to yourself, you know, is my, is my retirement account tied to the U.S. dollar? What that means is that these companies, these stocks, these stock market companies that you're invested in, right, Ford, et cetera, are their profits going to go down because the U.S. buying power is declining? Therefore, people are going to have less money in the United States. We are heading into a recession. That means these corporate profits that you're relying on for your stock values of your 401k to go up arguably are going to go down, right, in my opinion. I mean, you can just look at, you can look at what's happening, right? If these companies are laying off thousands of people and people aren't buying their stuff, how are their profits going to go up and their stock goes up and your retirement account goes up? The answer is it's not. So where are you going to put your money? You know, again, I talk about real estate on this channel. You know, we, if you want to book a call with our team, again, real estate, we're only building about 500 homes this year. So it's not like we have like millions we can help people with. But if you're someone who is interested in investing in real estate, you know, you can book a call with our team and we can help you in that. Also, I recommend, you know, personally, I recommend gold and silver and things like that. Actual tangible assets. Real estate is the top of my list. Gold, silver, those three, that's it for me, right? That's like the list for me. And I have a little bit of Bitcoin. But those are the tangible assets that have sustained for thousands of years. So again, if your retirement account is tied to what the US dollar is doing, buyer beware, protect your family. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you buy eggs. I I care that you don't get screwed. That's all I care about. I really, really do. So today's our Q&A episode as well. We've got questions from our audience. Again, if you want to leave us a voicemail question, you can go to our website at morrisinvest.com. Again, we're a full-service rental real estate company. So if you're interested in talking with our team, you can do that. You can just click on the book a call button right there on the page, and we'll jump on the phone with you for like 30 minutes and talk to you about real estate investing. Um, so that's, that's one thing you can do. But also on the right-hand side of your screen, there's a big microphone icon. You can click that microphone 
and you can leave us a voicemail question and we'll answer it here on the show. And we get we get hundreds of voicemail questions and we try to get to as many as we can. So thank you. Our first one comes to us from Hannah today. Hannah, take it away. Hi, Clayton. This is Hannah. I have enough money saved to purchase a small house and pay cash or I could get a loan. Which would you recommend is best for taxes and to begin my journey on real estate purchasing? Thank you, Hannah. Thanks for the question. So I am not a financial advisor. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't tell you exactly how to position your money, but I will tell you what I would do, which is personally, I always want to keep my money in my pocket, okay? So if I can use 25% of my money and then use the bank's money, look, all these banks are, you know, I mean, you see these banks making billions of dollars, right? Like, why wouldn't you use their money? Why would you want to use all of your money? You know, use these banks. The U.S. economy is built on debt. Since the United States dollar was removed from the gold standard in the 1970s, we are a debt-based economy. That's how, that's how it's built, and that's how people make money. So I would utilize debt. That's how America runs. It's on debt, um, personally. And that's what I do. So I would, you know, put down 25%. You keep that money in my pocket or put it in, like I just mentioned, personally, I wouldn't be sitting there on cash. I'd be putting it into something like gold or something, you know, silver to protect myself in the meantime. And when you, you know, you do that, you can keep it stored in vaults and, you know, in Singapore and, and, uh, and Hong Kong and Switzerland and places like that will store your gold for you uh, under 24-7 security and in, in proper vaults. You can go visit it anytime you want. Um, and then when you're ready to make your next real estate purchase, you know, you just simply within, it takes like two to three days, you convert it back, you sell some gold and you buy another piece of real estate. Um, but for the, you know, the U S dollar every day that your money's in the U S dollar, it's losing value. So once you understand that. So if you have $1, I would absolutely be converting that to real estate or precious metals. Now imagine you have, let's say you have a hundred dollars that you can invest in real estate, taking 25 of it as a down payment and buying a place to rent or to live, right? Taking the other $75 and using that as additional down payments and using the bank for the financing of the rest. If the interest rates make sense to you, and of course these things can be refinanced later, et cetera, but all of it just has to come down to the numbers, Hannah. I want to make sure that if you're putting 25% down, that the interest rates are, you know, make sense to you, five, 6% or whatever they are, it's still free money, right? This is the bank's money. This is not your money. So even if you're paying a little bit more with interest rates right now, and I believe rate cuts are going to be coming towards the end of the year, June and into December, um, Fed watchers are already pointing to rate cuts happening. So we could see a big, almost like a point decline over the next year, you know? So you're going to save some money or, you know, refinance later if you want. Then I could take that additional cash and capital and, fold that into additional rental properties and have the banks financing other properties for me. So that that cash that you have on hand, instead of sitting there in the US dollars, maybe putting those as down payments and having the bank carry notes for you and just making sure the numbers make sense for rental properties, making sure that the cash flow from these properties, from tenants in these properties, um, will cover your mortgage uh, and will cover your expenses. And then you'll be able to make a little profit on top of it with the cash flow. Now, from a tax perspective, this is brilliant because then, of course, you're getting the tax benefits of owning real estate. You're getting the tax benefits of 
interest on a mortgage, right? So all of these things are a tax benefit to you as well. We have full videos here, Hannah, on the channel about the tax benefits of real estate investing. So go check out those videos. I think those will really be helpful and you can really deep dive to see all of the ways you can save on your taxes. So check out those videos. All right, our next question here. Mr. Morris, how you doing? Myron over here in the South Florida market. Uh, currently own two properties, uh, one of which is my primary residence and the second uh, a rental. I am looking into pulling out a HELOC um, per your advice on the rental property um, to then purchase a second, I mean, a, a third and fourth uh, property. Um, my question to you is the prime rates right now for HELOCs are pretty high down here in South Florida, seven and a half uh, plus, and most of them are uh, variable rates. Um, so do you recommend um, still going forward with the HELOC, even though the prime rate and so on and so forth are pretty high and they're all adjustable? Um, or do you recommend waiting until some, some of the rates drop uh, to then move forward with the HELOC? Um, also, if you did recommend going forward with it and the rates do change and go up, how do you gauge setting your rental price uh, to account for the increase in that HELOC um, rate? Uh, thank you very much, and I uh, love the show. Thanks so much, Myron. Appreciate it. Sounds like you have a sound like you have a baby there on your uh, on your chest. Sound like that? I, I know the sound of a dad trying to make a phone call with a, with a baby on his chest. Maybe it was a maybe it was an animal. I don't know, but that's what it sounded like. I know the sound of a baby. <laughs> Uh, making uh, hungry noise sounds there. So if that is the case, then congratulations to you. Um, If not, then you've got a good little puppy or whatever. Um, So look, and again, I can't, I'm not a financial advisor. I can't tell you what mortgage to get and when, right? This is all personal. You know, you have to make that decision yourself based on what you're comfortable with. But I will say just to kind of go to your answer, your last question first, Myron, you're really not going to like increase the rent just to cover whatever mortgage you have. So let's say your mortgage is like $1,000 a month, but the market for rental in that neighborhood, wherever you're doing your properties is like 800 a month, right? That's kind of like what the market looks like in that neighborhood. Well, if you decide, well, I'm just going to increase the rent 200 bucks to cover my mortgage. Guess what? That house is going to sit vacant. Like that's the truth, right? Because why would a tenant unless your house has some crazy bells and whistles like a helicopter pad and a pool or, you know, I don't know. There's some kind of really ridiculous off-the-wall thing that makes it really compelling. You're not going to charge more for rent in that neighborhood than the market conditions call for just because your mortgage is higher. That's just not how it works. You, you could do that, but chances are it's going to sit vacant. But that's, that's just what happens. So you're going to want to work with a property management company, Myron. You're going to want to find out, really talk to great property management teams. We have full videos here on the channel about finding the best property management companies and vet them. Uh, ask how long they've been in business. You know, we no one, you shouldn't be working with anyone five years less, under five years of experience. What kind of software do they use? How do they screen tenants? How do they decide when to raise rent? That's going to be based on market conditions, of course. So you're going to really want to leave that up to them. And then once you can find out how much you're going to get for rent, that's going to be able to tell you what, what interest rate you're comfortable with, what kind of mortgage you're comfortable with, and do the numbers make sense. Now, I always come back to something that Robert Shimon said. He's the best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, real estate investor. He's been a guest on the show many, many times. Something he said years ago has always stuck with me. 
He said, look, if I'm putting 25% down and a bank is willing to give me money, even at like 10% or 11% interest rate, as long as I'm making 12%, he's like, I'll take it. He's like, because I'm adding another asset to my asset column. And even if the cash flow isn't there yet, remember right now there's three stages of real estate investing, right? Buy, own, and cash flow. Sound like a young guy. So you're in the buying phase. You really shouldn't be worried about the cash flow phase yet. Buying adds it to your net worth column and you're getting all the tax benefits of buying property, right? Then once it's paid off, you own it. That's the second stage. And then the third stage is now we're fully benefiting from all the cash flow. But if you're young enough, you're still working, you're still doing, you really shouldn't be focused on the cash flow. To me, the cash flow was like the icing on the cake. And we're also seeing cash flow really compressed in this market right now with higher interest rates and what's been going on. So cash flow, even if you're cash flowing $100, maybe $200 above your mortgage payment, to me, that's a win, okay? Or even as Gary Keller writes in his great book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, after all of your expenses and your mortgage are paid off, as long as you're cash flowing $1, he considers that a win. I like to have like at least 100 bucks, you know, a little bit of cushion there. But the point he's making is that all of your expenses are now covered your mortgage is covered. Everything is covered by the, by the tenant in the property. And you've now added an asset to your net worth column that you get all the tax benefits of. The cash flow comes later. Just remember that, guys. Okay, the cash flow is icing on the cake. Now, back to your question about interest rates. I am not a fan of variable interest rates at all. Okay, at all. That's my personal opinion. Uh, and yes, you could roll the dice and hope that the rates are going to go down in June and December as predicted, okay? But they might not. And so we can't really bank on that for variable rate interest. Why not try to shop around as much as you can? Reach out to my friend Dan Krause at Churchill Mortgage. They do cross-state HELOCs. They'll do, they, I think they do HELOCs in, in Florida as well. Shop around. Uh, so again, Church, Churchill Mortgage, Dan Krause. I, again, I don't make any money off of that at all. He's a friend. He's helped a lot of you guys. He's really good at that. He can do home equity loans for rental properties. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll link that up in the description as well. But, um, you know, you try to lock it. Personally, I'm a bigger fan of like locking in a longer term uh, rate, about a 10-year 10 10 fixed on a, on a home equity. And then after amount of time, you can always refinance it. If rates drop in a few years, then refinance it. You know, you know, you can always do that based on the market conditions. I'm just not a fan of variable rates where they sit there for a long, you know, they, they're going to move based on what happens in this market right now. I just, I don't want my family's fortune tied to that. Anyway, I hope you found that helpful, Myron. All right, next question. Hello, Clinton. My name is Jenny. I wanted to say thank you for everything you do, for all the knowledge that you have and all the information that you get to share with your audience. I have learned a whole lot by just listening to your uh, videos in YouTube. With that being said, my question is the following. Why is it so hard to a lender or a banker to provide a HELOC on a investment property instead of my own? Um, I wanted to use my investment property and get a HELOC because my equity in there is over $200,000, but it's so hard to find one that is willing to provide it. 
okay, the equity on my own home is not a whole lot. I purchased this house 2021 and it's not a lot. Um, and therefore the uh, equity that one they want to give me is not even enough for a down payment for a house. So can you tell me why is it so hard? And if I can get someone to help or to consider to give me a equity line of credit on my investment property, please. Thank you so much for everything and for any information that can, that you can provide. Thank you, Jenny. So kind of going back to our previous question here, what I just answered from Myra and I, again, I'll, I'll link, we'll link up in the description, uh, Churchill mortgage and, uh, just, you know, connect with my friend, Dan Kraus down there and see if he can help you on that on, uh, on a home equity line for an investment property. Okay. Now the reason to answer your question, um, and I don't recommend a lot of different companies. The reason I recommend Dan is because I've, I know he's, I know he's great. He's a great guy. And I know that he's helped a lot of people, um, with home equity lines of credit with, for, for, um, for investment properties. So I don't have like a laundry list of companies that I recommend. I just don't. Um, if I had more experience with them, I, I would, but I, I, that's, you know, that's why I put that out there. Um, as far as why don't they, they just see it as riskier and I don't understand why I, I've never understood this. Uh, me and my investor friends have always wondered this. We, we have conversations about this on a regular basis. Why? Why is it riskier for a bank to give a home equity line of credit on an investment property? In many ways, you'd be thinking, oh, Jenny is probably a more sophisticated person because she's an investor. Therefore, she's more likely to make sure that this, is, this loan is paid back and everything is kind of up and up, right? You'd think that you're probably in a better position as an investor and therefore more attractive to a bank. But no, for some reason, they see it as risky. It's considered risky to finance an investment that's not your primary residence, right? Um, and, you know, and I guess by also not having it tied to your personal name, now it's an investment, now it's tied to an LLC, then, oh, maybe you don't have as much skin in the game because you're, you know, it's not your primary house. And so banks see the fact that like Jenny's not going to want to lose where she lives, right? She's not going to want to lose her home that she lives in with her kids. She might be willing to cut bait on that investment property, though, if times get tough. That's why they see it that way, right? The same thing with like raw land. This is what happens. Banks, a lot of banks will not finance like land purchases, raw land purchases, things like that. Why? Because the first thing to go when people can't pay their bills, they stop paying bills on, they stop paying uh, taxes, they stop paying mortgages and stuff like that on raw land. They just don't, they just cut bait on it. That's why car, cars also, like cars get repossessed and so forth. But the home you live in, people do not want to lose that. And so that's how they see it. They see it as risky to do something that's not tied to like how you and your family live. Oh, it's an investment that you don't see. It's over here. You know, it's not as it's not as important to you as the house you live in. Therefore, a bank sees it as more risky. You know, I don't I, I understand that, but I also don't understand it because to me, um, you know, an, an investor probably has their ducks in a row. If they have multiple investment properties, they've got, you know, cash flowing tenants in these properties that are covering the mortgage. Right. That's the other part of it. You've got tenants in the property covering the mortgage payment. So even if Jenny, something happens to Jenny, there's tenants still paying down the loan, right? If Jenny loses her job, unfortunately, 
Well, guess what? The tenant is still living and paying the cash flow to, that covers the mortgage. So again, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm just telling you how they see it. So again, I would check out Churchill and I would all shop, shop around like Lending Tree and some other different companies that want to compete for, for these things. Um, for but shop around. There's going to be companies. Don't just call one company. Don't call two companies. Call ten. Call fifteen, and you will find somebody that will finance your investment. So that's going to do it for our episode today. If you'd like to leave a voicemail question, you can do so. We'll try to answer it here on the show. Just go to MorrisInvest.com and click on the microphone icon on the right hand side of the screen if you'd like to leave us a voicemail question. If you'd like to invest in real estate with a full-service team, that's what our team does, builds new construction properties from the ground up in the best rental markets in the country. Uh, with the property management team that places a tenant in the property, all you need to do is just get on the phone, and we'll take care of the rest. That's what the team does. Fantastic. So morrisinvest.com is the place to go. Until next time, everyone, go out there, take action, become a real estate investor. I believe more than anything else, it is the number one way to build and protect your wealth. We'll see you next time.